Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash wordinyourear or just by liking or subscribing in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Well, welcome to another edition of Word in Your Ear and to someone we've been reading in private eye for 33 years. Now, I often um, I often look at the uh, the endorsements on book jackets and think that's pitching it a bit high or someone's getting a bit overexcited here. But the quotes on his new book, Haywire, are absolutely on the money. Our greatest living satirist and the wittiest writer in Britain today. Absolutely correct. And it's so lovely to see him. Uh, Craig Brown, fantastic. How are you? Very nice, because actually when I... I mean, I put those on the covers, but I do feel slightly fraudulent. I can think of lots of funnier people. But anyway, that's... Not remotely. <laughs> and we're quite sure no money changed hands. So, uh, no, the... Um, the last time you were on, we were talking about uh, your fantastic Beatles book, One, Two, Three, Four. Very quickly, before we start on Haywire, you've seen, uh, subsequently, of course, Get Back has come out. So we wondered what you thought of that and if that gave you any new insights or, um, you, know, you know, impressions well, of what the Beatles were like and how they worked. Yes, I, I think, I mean, there was so much of interest in it. I, I think one of the interesting things, because it was so long, because it was eight hours or whatever, Yeah, uh, you saw something which no documentary on any subject has ever done before. You saw sort of real life going on. Um, uh, and in all, in all its uh, drabness. Uh, and so you had these four people who are the most glamorous people in the world. And they were just sitting around waiting for cups of coffee, waiting for other people. Toast. Late, you know, making toast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, feeling hungover, you know. And, and so that's rather fascinating just to see. I mean, in a funny way, it was like... Um, I got rather hooked on the Queen's lying in state because there was a live feed. I don't know if you saw that. And I yeah. said to friends, you know, who had no interest in the monarchy, you know, if you just watch this for 10 minutes, you'll be hooked. And that was, in a way, real life. I mean, it was in the, in the same way as Abbey Road, it was a very peculiar version of real life. But it was just seeing people queuing and then seeing what they do in private before this coffin. Um, anyway, so it, it, Get Back had some 
slight uh, echoes of uh, the lying in state. <laughs> no, the, the, now, the new book is, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a book reviews. It's a greatest hits, really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's book reviews, yeah, private yeah. eye columns, newspaper columns, essays. And there's a lovely bit in the, in the intro where you say, in the glare of the internet, the border has been blurred between true and false, authentic and concocted, nutcase and expert. And I just wondered if, as a columnist, you know, the social media and the internet has made life easier, actually. There's just more opportunity to write about extraordinary things. I mean, it's certainly easier for research. I mean, like I, I did a column which is uh, out today. I wrote it yesterday, but I wanted to make this um, uh, this link between uh, John Le Carre. John Le Carre's lover uh, previously was engaged to Jeremy Lloyd, who uh, wrote "Are You Being Served?" and Jeremy Lloyd uh, yeah. been engaged to or been married to Joanna Lumley, and Joanna Lumley had gone out with. Rod Stewart and Eleanor Stewart yeah. in with George Hamilton, who seems to have gone out with Imelda Marcos. And so and, and so I was making these kind of this kind of conga, sexual conga line. Uh, <laughs> and obviously the internet is really good at that. You've got to be careful of you know of your sources, obviously, because there's lots of bonkers things. But you do get you can do research very, very swiftly in a way you couldn't before. You'd have to go to a library or ring lots of people up. Uh, so that's very good. Um, but also, I mean, uh, I suppose it is making the world crazier, the Internet, um, and 24-hour news and everything. I mean, you can see it with this whole Liz Truss meltdown. It's slightly driven by 24-hour news because anyone yeah. can be on the Jeez. news at any time. And all new, these hundreds of news sources are desperate for conservative backbenchers and all that kind of thing. So, so it just speeds up life and it makes it more, well, as I've the title of the book is Haywire, makes everything more haywire. And of course, satirists are always in a way on the side of things going wrong. And so, you know, it's a, it's golden years for satirists. So <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated by uh, you, the story you, you just told, uh, Jeremy Lloyd and John Carey's lover and so forth. Because one of the things that struck me reading the book, I was reminded of reading the book, you must be a huge reader of diaries. Of yeah. People. Is that... If, uh, You're doing that all the time, are you? Go on. I've got I've got lots of uh, diaries. In a way, it's the best sort of. I've got a lot of books, and uh, and the most sort of complete collection within those books is is diaries. I always I reviewed books for about well, really been reviewing since I was twenty, but once a week for twenty three years. So I'd always home in on diaries. If there was diaries on offer, I'd always get them. Uh, and in some ways, they can be boring to read. Even you know, Peeps's diaries are. A lot of it's boring, but in the same way I was saying about Get Back, that it's real life. Yeah. And also, and, and diarists record things like rumours uh, and gossip, and historians just don't. So I think um, the diarists get much closer to the sort of uh, weft, if that's the word, of, of real life uh, than historians do. But it's wonderful in the way you, I think you write a piece in here about John Stonehouse, you know, yeah, the, yeah. the famous disappearing postmaster general. Um, and I think you throw in quite early on, you know, he disappeared. He was well known for disappearing. Barbara Castle's diaries talk about him disappearing. <laughs> yeah. you, you obviously read all these diaries and, and you, you just hold one, one little <laughs> nugget and somehow it comes in years later. Is oh, that no, okay? Well, no, I wish I had. I don't have a very good memory, actually. But the great thing about uh, most books, but not mine, is that they have indexes. 
And right. so I wanted yeah. to write. I was sent, I'd sent, been sent um, a book by John Stonehouse's older daughter. Who I, I never met. I met the other two children and his wife. Uh, and she, it was a great defense of John Stonehouse. It just came out uh, beginning of this year. Oh, no, it must have been last year. Um, and because I'd known John Stonehouse, uh, I thought, well, that, you know, I kind of brought my self in. And, and he is, he's a fascinating uh, figure. So then I was, it's very interesting to see what people, he had risen sort of quite high, being postmaster general. Uh, and so he is in uh, Crossman's diaries, Barbara Castle's diaries. And the, I mean, as a slight kind of walk on part, but it's interesting to see what people thought of him before he disappeared. Yeah, definitely. Castle, who was a very intelligent woman. She obviously got some sense of this disappearing <laughs> figure. You know? I love that. I, love I, want, I wanted to ask a bit about the, the I mean, you write about a lot of comedians, uh, wonderful entries, well, Tommy Cooper and Benny Hill, Mark's Brothers, you know, and there's a sort of pattern that emerges with a lot of them, that they're quite odd, eccentric people from very peculiar backgrounds. Did you get any kind of insights into 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 what, what drives people to want that level of attention and to want to make people laugh? To that I think sometimes, like with Frankie Howard and Kenneth Williams, it comes from people uh, laughing at them. Yeah. Uh, and them wanting to kind of own the laughter. Uh, and because they both also, once they've become very successful, very famous, they, they had a kind of self loathing uh, to them, especially Kenneth Williams, who was. Yes, he did. Who would entertain. Oh, his diaries are completely fascinating because he'd be on just a minute or on a Parkinson show and everyone would be roaring with laughter and applauding him and adoring him. And then he'd go home just. Uh, full of self-loathing at what he's just done, because I think he hated his facility for making people. Yeah. I think that's one of the things with funny, really funny comedians. They they have this facility and they don't really trust it. They don't know where it comes from. Uh, and they think, well, if I worked harder, I could be something like else, like Kenneth Williams, who had started with the, not the RSC, but, you know, doing relatively smart uh, uh, parts with Maggie Smith and that kind of thing. You know, he then became carry-on person, and he hated it. He was a, a kind of highbrow in a way. Yeah, he hated being a lowbrow or being seen as a lowbrow. And so, I think quite a lot of those old-style comedians is to do with self-hatred. And of course, with both of those, they were gay at a time you uh, it was illegal to be gay. Yeah, um, and I think nowadays there isn't any of that uh, terrible inversion. Uh, which which comes uh, with the old comedians. They were hiding something and they were neurotic about it. And then it emerged as humour. But now, you know, thankfully all that's gone. But I think the comedy is maybe less sort of driven and maybe less funny. Yeah. I can never think of that. I was reading the Kenneth Williams thing this morning. And uh, you reminded us, I think he died in 1988. Is that right? It's a long, yes, maybe, long maybe, time yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> and yet uh, the point you make is he he's still very vivid in our memories, isn't he? Because we yes, it's odd the... because other, you know, uh, someone like David Frost, who died much more recently, completely forgotten figure. You know, it's almost hard to conjure up his, I mean, in that way, he's like, yes, John, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Very much. Whereas Kenneth Williams, he didn't, um, and he wrote these brilliant diaries, but all these things that he's famous for, like infamy, infamy, he's got it infamy. They were written yeah. by uh, Talbot Rothwell, I think his name was. Um, uh, and so he, he's not actually known for these sort of Oscar Wilde uh, aphorisms or anything, but he's just known because he had this very, very uh, kind of vivid weird personality. And I think people are intrigued by that. Yes, you know, absolutely. Yeah. 
As we must ask about the private eye diaries because there's some lovely examples of that you've quoted in the book. There's the, the Blair one and the Tim Peake one. I mean, I always imagine that you must have a list where you're a little short list where you're compiling a, a list of people who are uh, evolving into possible future <laughs> targets and you're waiting uh, for them to get big enough or do something ludicrous enough to, to write about. Is that right? I mean, uh, yes. No, there are, there, are, <laughs> there are a few people I wish were more famous who, who sort of get on my nerves, but it would just be self-indulgent to put them in uh it, they tend to have it it feels all journalism is much better if it's uh topical and so you know i mean if i did tim peak i mean, people have probably forgotten tim peak as well but he's the first british astronaut yeah if i did him now it would seem really odd people would think well why are you doing it now so you have to you know do that kind do of at the time and even if i did i mean i have done uh tony uh blair sort of since he left power but it was a joke about being powerless and uh, I think it'd be odd to do him now. It'd even be odd to do Boris Johnson now. I mean, yes, he would. He things would. move on very quickly. So, do you research that like a, like a cartoonist does in a way? Kind of, you're watching endless bits of video, YouTube, and, and looking for speech idiosyncrasies, or how do you go yeah, about yeah, it? Yeah, I do that. I, I think it's very much um, language uh, driven. So, like with Liz Truss, I noticed um, the way she speaks is she, for some reason, she pauses every third word, and then we yes. The Australian inflection, and and then that's quite funny if you put that you know as a full stop in the middle of a sentence. You know? Yeah, <laughs> and so there are uh, there are sort of tricks you can play with, but I think um, I think language is always very uh, revealing, and especially if I if I'm parodying in the an actual diary in the uh, private eye diaries, um, you know Alan Clark's diaries or something. Well, say, um, I mean, if I was doing uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, you know, you, you just have to see that I, I write, I watch quite a lot of YouTubes, uh, read his, I wouldn't read the whole of his very, very boring book about Victorians, but, you know, you get that kind of pompous style. I mean, it's quite an easy one to, to copy. In a way, he's a copy of himself, isn't he? He's yes, he is. People who sort of retreated into some kind of do, self. Do, do you ever run into people? If you go to, I don't know, Cheltenham Festival or something, you must be surrounded by people that you have parodied. Do people ever come up to you and had a reaction, you know? Um, well, usually uh, if people, if you're avoiding people, people are avoiding you. That's very good. And there are worse things. I was thinking this morning for some reason, though, if you're, if you do a bad review of someone, it's, it tends to be much more in your face. I mean, much more difficult to laugh off. And when I was, um, yeah, there's a review in the book of, uh, Bruce Robinson's book about Jack the Ripper. Uh, oh, which is incredible. He comes up with this extraordinary idea. He spent, what, £500,000 researching this book? Yeah. And, and I, I, was... had, I did know Bruce Robinson a, a bit. We once sort of uh, guests, uh, we got a mutual friend and we were both sort of house guests. Yeah. I reviewed the book about maybe two years later. And then very soon after, and I did him in Private Eye. And he is quite a kind of, I don't know if you know him. I've met him, yes, yeah, he's fantastic. <laughs> he's, quite, he's quite a sort of uh, random kind of character. Um, and by chance, I was in, I'd just been uh, walking with friends uh, along Offa's Dyke and it stopped at Hay on Wye, so not during the book festival. We were in a restaurant there and it was about, it was just a few weeks after the review and the parody had come out. And I was suddenly a very small restaurant with just, six tables in a row. I was at one end of the row, and then I suddenly saw um, Bruce Robinson and his wife at the, at, the other, at the table six along. I thought, how am I going to get out of... 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Because he's the kind of person who wouldn't just avoid it. You know, he no, not at all. No, he's quite confrontational. Uh, so yeah. We just had to wait and wait and wait until they left first. I once had that also with Michael Winner, who I'd made uh, jokes about. I think we're, perhaps we were both reviewing restaurants. Anyway, we're in yeah. and rather pathetically, because I should be able to stand up for myself. Um, I asked if I could leave by the restaurant, uh, by the uh, kitchen. And so I went, I went through the swing doors of the, um, but usually that, that was some time ago. Uh, these days, I, you know, if people want to, uh, object they can yeah. see i mean i i think i mean as uh, politicians it say uh, jacob reese mogg who i've done a slightly disgusting um parody of in the book with his nanny changing his nappies while he reads the financial times um oh, yeah she she, she, she peels his boiled egg for him doesn't <laughs> yeah yeah age 55 um, he hasn't learned how to do that yeah <laughs> uh but i suspect that um, politicians by and large are very robust uh uh, because they've had to go through all these humiliating processes of being adopted as the candidate and then facing election and then being on Newsnight and all that kind of thing. And so I, I guess that um, actually I was, oddly enough, in a room with Jacob Rees. I was at a uh, launch party about two weeks ago. I mean, he was the other end, so I, he wouldn't have known I was there. And, uh, uh, but I, I guess he had just said, oh, most amusing or something like that. Um, yeah. Whether he would think that or not is another question, but I don't think he'd come up and punch you. No, I I think he avoids that kind of thing, actually. Yeah. I think he's probably yeah. very good at dealing with that kind of thing. Uh, I was very taken by the, the the kind of serious stuff in in, in this book. I mean, because it's not just a book of humour. It's the best of Craig Rounds, all kinds of things. Yeah. And I was particularly taken with your, your piece about Arthur Lowe. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's really moving. Yeah. Yeah. So, just tell us a little bit about that. I mean, because it was based on a book written by his son. Is that right? Uh, I, no, I think no, I think his son did write a book. I think this was some other book. I've got a, a bad memory for that. I, 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 actually, when I was compiling the book, I was just choosing the bits which sort of struck me as saying something new or original or something and discarding ones which seemed out of date. Um, but I was so, when I finally assembled it, and, oh, and then I, I, know, I was doing the audio book, and I thought, God, some of you know, I thought this was a kind of frothy book, but it, it's actually no, it's a bit gloomy. I mean, at least, well, at least a third, probably a half, a, a kind of, you know, of quite sort of serious, as you say, it's kind of uh, gloomy. I mean, especially in a way the comedians. I mean, Arthur Lowe didn't have a, um, as unhappy a life as, say, someone like Kenneth Williams or Frankie Howard. Uh, but he was um, 
Yeah, he was. And the interesting thing about him was, uh, you know, uh, Dad's army went on for a lot longer than the Second World War, I guess, say 10 years compared to six years. Um, and if you're in one of those long running series, the, the writers start writing your own character into your character, you know, the actor's character into the character they're playing. And so they melded. By the end, Arthur Lowe and Captain Mannering were virtually the same uh, person. Uh, and that's not to say he wasn't a brilliant actor, because, you know, he had this very kind of um, invisible form of acting, which usually only Americans can do. You couldn't you couldn't see him at work as an actor. Uh, and, but he was he was kind of bossy on, on set and uh, wanted, you know, and very sort of prim and proper and that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, that that sort of caught him. You know, he played it probably for too long. He did. Um, his wife uh, was a, had been an actress, and when he, I mean, rather touchingly, when he um, retired from Dad's Army, he was an, you know, he was an incredibly good uh, stage actor. He was on a lot of the Lindsay Anderson films that, and plays. Um, but he he rather saddled himself with his wife because he insisted his wife should um, appear on stage with him. So whenever he he was offered a part, he'd say, "Only if my wife can play," you know a maid or something, uh, uh, you know, it, not a key part, but, uh, and then she would sometimes fall over on stage, you know, she, she was a bit of a, uh, a drinker. And so, so actually what could have been a kind of glorious retirement was rather a um, subdued retirement in, in provincial theatres. Yeah. Do you, I mean, the impression I get re reading all the stuff about entertainers and you, you write a terrific piece about Bruce Springsteen based on his autobiography yeah. and that that uh you know gathered together all these entertainers they're all really strange aren't they they're yes. all kind of disturbed in some way aren't they i think you know? i think the interest i mean you know more about uh rock than i do but i think the the interesting thing with you know and it came out in the dylan book uh and almost all the honest uh rock uh uh autobiographies is, is that they are very driven and they're very, very organised. I mean, like, like David Bowie, you know, yeah. this sort of airy-fairy figure. He was very, very driven. He had sacked people, you know, uh, and uh, sort of ruthless. And I think, and Springsteen is the one who most acknowledges his own yeah. ruthlessness. There's that marvellous bit where he, um, his band uh, are, uh, you know, a few seconds late on stage because they've been playing table tennis backstage and he bans table tennis. Absolutely, yes. And you think, you know, good old Brucey, but uh, but he's still this person. He is the band leader. And, and of course, you need that because you can't have a band of 10 people or however many he has. I liked your I liked your theories about Keith Richards. Which I, I think I subscribe to because your your theory is that, that Mick Jagger is the beating heart of the Rolling Stones. And without him, they would be, I don't know, virtually on the pub circuit. And that Keith is a bit of a bit of a bore and a bit of a fraud, really. Is that? Oh, is... Yes, I'm glad you agree, because <laughs> yeah. I feel people were taken in by that book i mean i say that he's a kind of bertie worcester figure because he he's lived in the same house very conservative and probably more so than charlie watts and charlie watts at least made a thing about it yeah he's in the same house since about 1967 or so yeah most of us have moved house or done something uh and then he gets an old etonian to write his autobiography for him uh you know he's just and i think he has, doesn't he have a great library of sort of war books or history. He does. And, um, and he potters around. And Anita Pallenberg used to come and clip his hedges for him. That's <laughs> right. Um, and I just think that without uh, Mick, who he's rude about, very rude about in his... Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
the 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 Rolling Stones just would. I mean, they are effectively a covers band, covering themselves. But they would yeah. have, they'd be like the Baron Knights or something, the Swinging Blue Jeans. <laughs> uh, uh, but he managed his amazing trick without having had a hit for say forty years. Yeah, amazing trick of making them the uh, most um, you know largest money making band in the world. Yeah, yes, and, and and you know, can you imagine Keith getting around to that? No. No, well, all bands have to have one member who says, let's do this. Yeah, yeah. And that's always the All the others can moan like, about it. They can all agree with Paul it. Paul is the same. same thing. Uh, and, of course, everyone then hates it. And, you it know, is. Yeah, and absolutely. Paul is now coming back into fashion. But basically, it seems so un-rock and roll to be the pushy one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the fans all say, oh, no, I much prefer John or Keith because they're much more like the fans, you know. Yes. Lazing around... Uh, feeling resentful. <laughs> um, and yeah, I know, so it's an interesting dynamic. And probably it is true of every uh, successful band. Uh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Driver, yeah. It so is, what, yeah. what's your favourite What's your favorite uh, piece in, the, in this book? It's full of all sorts of uh, wonderful things. Well, I, I suppose the thing is with... Well, I think I like... Um, there's, there's a... Uh, there's a parody of in our time. Uh, I like the, I like unfashionable targets. Yeah, uh, and I mean, obviously, you know, I can see. I'm really glad in our time still going, and that people uh, get something from it. Uh, but it is completely impenetrable, <laughs> and you feel yeah. that Melvin Bragg has got these, you know, three academics who are kind of like wild horses, all trying to pull in their own direction. All going, some going too far, fast forward, some going too far back and he's always trying to say well if i can just you know return you to this and and so it is parodiable so i i've um i uh i, I perform that a, a couple of times uh with friends and it, yeah and that, constantly that, reminding you that it's an intellectual debate isn't it it's yeah, all yeah. very rarefied yeah. um and, but I, I basically i like the ones that i haven't um read for a bit so i can sort of read them afresh and uh i did the, there's a longer piece I'm not sure I'd say it's one of the greatest, but there's a longer piece about the nature of uh, biography, which ha has some kind of chunky, chunky, meaty sort of stuff in it. And I quite like, I like the, I noticed, which uh, slightly surprised me as well, that quite a lot of mine are, um, are against atheism, not quite sort of <laughs> pro-religion, but I, there's such a sort of, like with Keith Richards, um, there's such a sort of, the, fa the fashionable tide is so atheist and, oh, isn't Christopher Hitchens cool or Richard Dawkins? And I, I like uh, those. I, I realise that the, um, the artists I like, the painters, like uh, Stanley Spencer and David Jones, all have a kind of spiritual side. So I, I like, in a way, that's going against the grain. And I like the, um, the pieces which are going against the grain and say, hey, but there is something, uh, there's something beyond the here and now. And the smugness of uh, Richard Dawkins uh, vastly outweighs any smugness of, say, the Archbishop of Canterbury. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, true. That's good. And the certainty, you know, his certainty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a fundamentalist certainties. Um, and I, yeah, so it's, so I like I like those. I yeah, know. you also write about Tony Benn's dreams, don't you? They say that yeah. Tony Benn spent most of his life being certain about everything, except when he was asleep. <laughs> well, I dreams. I mean, dreams are so fascinating. Whenever you, especially if you're, also if you're sort of going to sleep and you're slipping into sleep, 
uh, you realize you're at any time being awake, you're 30 seconds away from madness because you slip into sleep and then for some reason you wake up and you think, my God, I was occupying this completely crazy yes, world. Parallel world. And you see how your, your mind, you know, uh, your sanity is so is so sort of uh, hanging by a thread all the time. <laughs> um, and I think, and it's uh, it was very because Tony Benn uh, wrote. I mean, he wrote an entry every day for say sixty years, seventy years, maybe uh, sixty years anyway. Um, and so he did, though it was mainly boring TUC meetings and that kind of thing. He would actually put in uh, his dreams, and and he would, and he'd be mystified by his own dream. And so, at one point, I thought this—I mean, it did take a rather long time—but go through all these, uh, you know, millions of words of diaries, looking for his <laughs> dreams. Uh, dreams. But they are kind of revealing, you know, yeah. because this man who is so like Dawkins, but in another way, so full of certainties, yeah. exactly, his whole being is so close to uncertainty. Fantastic stuff. It is. It is. So it's all there. The book is Haywire, the best of Craig Brown. Out now. Uh, thoroughly recommended. Can I ask you um, both a, a quiz question, which I... Go on. Yeah, go on. With. Uh, do you remember the, the band Lieutenant Pigeon? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. What... Moldy old doe. Okay. They're, they call themselves Lieutenant Pigeon because it was an anagram of something. Oh, what my. was the anagram? Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. This That's is probably, good. This is probably in what's its book. Um, in Will Hodgkinson's book is bound to have a chapter about Lieutenant Pitt. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've, yes. I've, 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 it's all about sing along pop. Um, I'll tell you something frightening that I saw as well. That the what I saw is the very old woman. Do you remember there was an old woman? Yeah, on yeah. The, yeah she played piano. She was the mother of a member of the group, but, I think. But she was 58, so she could... I know. When, she, when that was... So she could have been, you know, Mick Jagger's daughter at that time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, shall I tell you what it is? Yeah, let's go on. Go on. Uh, it's genuine potential. Oh, OK. Sadly, I'm not sure they did have genuine potential. No. How but did you discover that? Where did you, where did you I come across remember. that? I can't uh, remember. I just... I read it somewhere. And I did work it. I mean, I, I checked that it was uh, correct. But yeah, yeah. Oddly enough, they probably did make some money out of that, you know, because they, they owned that, didn't they? Yeah, and it was. Uh, it wasn't a number one record. It, it was. It was, oh, it yeah. was, one, For it was one of the, It was big all over. I think yeah. you know. You can watch it on YouTube. Them on top of the pops. Uh, it's fascinating, really. Yeah, I think they were an experimental band called Stavely Make. Yes, they were. That's so right, they, they were. There is a story like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a bit like uh, Hot Legs with uh, Neanderthal Man. It's yeah. like a kind of simple throwaway song, but it was to them. And isn't it one of those rare examples of a song where I think that's the only lyric? Isn't that the only lyric? Moldy yeah, old doe. Yes, I don't think they hardly say that. There's a band going. Whoa. Mudio, no, that's right. You know, that's brilliant. Uh, pub piano, yeah. You've yeah. got to give them some points for that. Fantastic. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.